have your Bibles, and I certainly hope you do for a series like this, open them to 2 Timothy 3, 15 through 17. This passage has really been the key to the first sola. We're still looking just at the first sola, and that is Scripture alone. And we've been answering the question, why is Scripture alone uniquely necessary? And as we've seen in the videos, even worth dying for. And we said there's four words that we've been looking at. And the first was authority. Your Bible is God speaking to you uniquely and with divine final authority. Inerrancy is the second word. Your Bible is God speaking to you uniquely and truthfully without error. And we're looking at the third word, clarity. The Bible is God speaking clearly to be understood and obeyed. And we said that scholars use this word perspicuity, which is not only hard to understand, but it's unclear, but it means clarity. But we're going to stick with the, the simple word clarity. And we said the definition, I have it there in your notes, simple definition. The Bible is a unified story that is clearly understandable to all who devote themselves to studying it in dependence on the Holy Spirit in order to follow it. The definition is clear. So why is there confusion? Why all the objections? Well, last uh, two weeks ago, we studied five basic objections. You can see them there. We're not going to go back through those, but it's interesting. Just this week, just this week in preparing for this lesson, Again, I saw how these challenges are a normal part. And here's my concern. My concern is that we hear these challenges to the clarity of Scripture so often that we begin to buy into them, even as Christians. And we begin to think, oh, yeah, that's true. And, and I don't know how to answer that. And so I, that's why I took the time to do that. Well, let me, uh, you know, uh, I have a Christian guy that I know here in town that writes a blog and so i responded to the blog it was something on creation i respond to it and usually if i respond to something on a blog i'll mark notify me of anybody adding to adding to it so i can keep up on the thread or see if you know i need to clarify anything that i i said and so this is over a year ago or more and so this week just happened this week it popped up to say hey someone continued to uh, comment on this blog that i had commented on it was written by a christian affirming christian values well the guy's name is matt and here's matt's response let me begin by saying i am not an atheist just a medical student and a scientist now right now we know where he's going okay i'm not an atheist but I'm smart enough and bright enough to not believe what you believe, okay? And sure enough, here's what he says. I don't deny the existence of God. It's almost like he's saying, I'm not that dumb. But I also don't take every word in the Bible literally as though you couldn't be a med student or believe in science and do that. And then he says in parentheses, here's why. Since it was translated several times and written down by men who are flawed. Now there, right there, is the attack on the authority of Scripture that we've been teaching about. If you followed in this series, authority, inerrancy, you know how to answer that. You know to say, hey, just because it's been translated several times does not uh, obscure the clarity, does not destroy the authority, and does not 
uh, attack the inerrancy of what God originally said. And it wasn't, it was written down by men that were flawed, but they were carried along by the Holy Spirit and he ensured that. So you can answer that. He goes on and he says this. Your statement that the Bible should be taken literally is opinion. Boom! You're in postmodern attack on the authority of the Bible. Your statement that the Bible should be taken literally is opinion. There are two major schools of thought on the Bible shared by devout Christians the world over. For a medical student and a scientist, he sure is an expert on theology all of a sudden, right? So here's what he says. While many believe that the Bible should be taken word for word, which is a total, you know, there's a whole issue here about his definition of literal, literal, but we can't get into that. He says, should be taken literally, word for word. An equally great number of faithful Christians believe that the Bible is a series of parables constructed to teach people how to live their lives. As such, the idea of parables, rather than historically factual events, makes the values and teachings of the Bible timeless and applicable to the lives of people living today, thousands of years after the Bible is written. What he's arguing is because it's, he, he says, if it's parables, which are myths and stories that men make up, it's more timeless than if it was rooted in historical fact. And, and it, he's got it backwards. Historical fact is what makes it timeless and true. And the Bible isn't a whole bunch of, uh, of parables and stories. There are parables in it, but it is a historical progressive record of God fulfilling his purposes. And so I just I, I just threw that out there. Uh, I have a friend that witnesses very regularly on in the workplace, and he said, "Yeah, I was witnessing to her, her his boss, this lady, and first thing out of her mouth after he started witnessing, directing her to the Bible. Yeah, but there's so many interpretations. Boom! That's an attack on the clarity of Scripture. Now we don't need to attack back, but you don't need to be defensive anymore because of the series of, of lessons that you're learning. You can say, oh. There are a lot of interpretations, but the Bible is clear, and here's why. So let's take a look at it, at uh, these challenges, as we said last time, to the clarity all come down to two questions. Are the Scriptures clear enough to be understood with the help of the, script, uh, with the, help of the Holy Spirit? Are they clear enough? That's the first question. That's the first challenge. Second, are... All believer, believers capable enough. So is it clear enough to be understood? And are we capable enough to understand them? So let's take a look at it. What's clear about the clarity of the Bible? Here's number one. God has spoken clearly. It's that simple. God has spoken clearly in the Bible about what is necessary for bridging the gap to know and enjoy Him. And that word necessary is really important. He hasn't told us everything we want to know. He's told us what we need to know. You've heard need-to-know basis. Well, guess what? God is the one who determines what we need to know. And we can be assured, He says, that in the Bible, we have what we need to know. Remember, sola scriptura does not assert that the Bible contains all knowledge on every topic. First of all, Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, The hidden things belong to God, the revealed things belong to us. What is necessary is revealed, 
And second of all, the Bible was never intended to be an exhaustive collection of all human knowledge. Instead, as we've been learning, it's our sufficient, inspired, infallible source on what we need to know regarding who God is, what He expects from us, what's wrong with us, and how we could be made right with Him and live for Him. That's what's necessary. And that's what we see in your Bibles there in 2 Timothy 3. So take a look at that. 2 Timothy 3, 15 through 17. So let's listen to what the Bible uh, says. In fact, let's pick it up in verse 14. Paul speaking to his young disciple Timothy, Paul's last words. You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ alone. Faith alone, Christ alone, according to the Scriptures alone. Verse 16, All Scripture is inspired, that is, God breathed the very words of God by God and are profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Why? Verse 17, So that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Just in these verses, 15, 16, and 17, let me show you just three simple things about the clarity of the Bible. First of all, verse 15, the Bible is clear enough to bring anyone, even a young child, to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 15, very clear. He says, look, you knew the Bible. You could understand the Bible from an early age. In fact, that word for child there is used elsewhere Elsewhere in uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, for a child still nursing at his or her mother's breast. That's how young. In fact, the Jews, uh, Judaism taught that a child at the age of five could begin to be taught the law, the law of Moses, Genesis through Deuteronomy. What am I saying here? It, what, or what is God saying here? He's saying, look, from the young, as, long, as soon as they're able to read, understand, hear, as soon as they're able to talk, begin teaching them the scriptures because they're clear enough to lead your kids to salvation, which is why we have a children's ministry. It's why Randy with Awana, Pat and his crew, Gwen and her crew, the crew in the Discovery Hour right now teaching our kids because the scriptures are clear enough to lead anyone, even a child, to a saving faith. Can we say an amen on that? Yeah, yeah. In fact, most decisions for Christ are made when you're 18 or younger. Clarity of scripture. Old Testament passages like Deuteronomy 6, the Shema, which says, Hear, O Israel. And it's Deuteronomy 6 is the famous passage that says, These words which I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. Listen, the word of God isn't meant for the classroom it's meant for the home. It's, it's clear enough to teach your children 
the Word of God. And then, of course, the classic New Testament passage on that is Ephesians 6. Children, obey your parents. And Paul begins to expound the commandments that were uh, recorded there in Deuteronomy and in Exodus. And it ends with this. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I just want you to see. Timothy knew the scriptures from a nursing child throughout his life because that's how clear scriptures are. Verse 16. Verse 16 tells us the Bible is clear enough to lead anyone to a growing faith in Christ. So it's not just for saving us, it's for growing us. And that's verse 16. The Bible is so clear that it's able to instruct you, rebuke you, correct you, and train you, which is a word for parenting. The Word of God wants to parent you to become a mature believer in Jesus Christ. I like what J.C. Ryle, I'm going to quote a lot from J.C. Ryle in this lesson. He has a chapter in a book called Practical Religion. Uh, If you get on our Facebook page this uh, afternoon, I've got the link. You'll see it this afternoon. Here's what he says in this article. The chapter is on Bible reading. And he says this, The Bible applied to the heart by the Holy Spirit is the chief means by which people are built up and strengthened in the faith after conversion. It's able to make them pure, to sanctify them, to train them in righteousness, and to thoroughly equip them for every good work. Wow. He goes on to say this, and I paraphrase, Are you weary in soul? It can awaken you. Are you mourning? It can comfort you. Are you sinning? It can convict and restore you. Are you weak? It can make you strong. Are you pressured by unbelievers in the workplace? It can keep you from evil. Are you alone? It will commune with you. And Ryle says he does all, the Bible does this for all believers, the least to the greatest, the richest to the poorest. It has done it for thousands already, and it's doing it for thousands every day. My question is, are you in it? Are you allowing the clarity of the Word of God to speak to your heart on a regular basis? In fact, I think this idea of, the, of verse 16, of the Word of God instructing, rebuking, correcting, and training us just by reading it, I'm not talking about anybody teaching it. The Word of God will do those things to you if you read it. This is the reason why people don't get into it, both the believer and the unbeliever, because you know you're going to get spanked. But just like good spankings, you're going to get loved after that. You're going to get restored after that. You're going to get corrected. I, I, I really believe Mark Twain nailed it when he said this, it ain't the parts of the Bible that I can't understand that bother me. It's the parts that I do understand. And so when people get into the deep things or the difficult things of the Word of God, direct them to the main thing. Direct them to the clear things. What about John 3 at 16 do you not understand? And if they're a believer, what about 2 Timothy 3, 15 through 17 do you not understand? 
You see, the Bible is simple enough for the youngest child and profound enough for the greatest scholar to study for the rest of your life. I, I beg you in this lesson, be a lifelong learner of the Word of God. Because you will never plumb its depths completely, and yet it's clear enough to teach you something every single day. Can I hear an amen? Yeah. Yeah. Third, verse 17. The Bible is clear enough to equip anyone with a sharing faith about Jesus Christ. So you see, the Bible's clear enough to give you a saving faith, even as a nursing child, a growing faith, no matter where you are in the Christian life, and a sharing faith in verse 17, so that you, as a man or woman of God, can be adequate, which means complete, lacking nothing, capable, equipped for every good work. Listen, when you know this book, you're prepared to parent. When you know this book, you're prepared to grow your marriage. When you know this book, you're prepared to guide and counsel people in dark, difficult times. In fact, I would put forth to you that when you know this book, you're the only one qualified to talk about most things that people encounter in life. No one, apart from this book, knows how to minister to the dying. No one, apart from this book, knows how to minister to the person facing cancer, suffering, the, the wayward child, the, the, the prodigal parent, the strained spouse. It's the Word of God. But you've got to know it, and then you've got to share it. You've got to share it. And it's clear enough to help people where they need it. I love this quote by the early church father, Gregory the Great, who once wrote, in a, in a commentary he wrote on Job, no less, Scripture is like a river, broad and deep, shallow enough here for a lamb to go wading, but deep enough there for an elephant to swim in. That's the Word of God. Isn't that great? Yeah, Chris, that is great. That's good. Good, good stuff. All right, let's keep moving. Now, I wanted to show you that so much is packed in that Second Timothy passage. But I want to show you the whole Bible teaches the clarity of Scripture. So let's keep moving. The Bible clearly teaches its own clarity. And you really see this in Psalms and Proverbs. So let me just read a couple of these verses. Psalm 6, uh, Proverbs 6.23. For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching is light. And reproofs for discipline are the way of life. Psalm 36, 9. For with you, Lord, is the fountain of life. In your light, we see light. Psalm 119, 105. A familiar one. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a what? A light to my path. Psalm 119, 130. The unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding even to the simple. Now, what is common in all those verses I read to you? What word was repeated? Light. Light. And so what's it saying? God's word doesn't cast shadows of doubt, but shines the clear light of hope on our path. And why is this true? 
Because God himself is light. And so when he speaks, he shines the light. He brings clarity to our confusion. He brings answers to our questions. He brings hope to our doubts. This is what the light of God's word. And the reason he does that, because that's his character. So here's the second uh, second thing I want you to see here. The divine character of the Trinity guarantees the clarity of Scripture. The divine character of the Trinity guarantees the clarity of Scripture. And I just want to step back here, and I want you to focus now, and I want you to think. I know it's Sunday morning, but we can think. And here's what I want you to think about. Everything that we've seen, authority, inerrancy, and now clarity, The reason those things are true of the Bible is because they're true of the God who spoke the Bible. And here's what I want you to get. You can't separate this book from the God who revealed it. And yet today, everybody wants to separate the book because books are boring and dry and written by men supposedly and full of errors. Instead, have this relationship with Jesus. The sad pastor in Independence that's leading his church to deny hell is very repeatedly says in his sermons, Jesus is the Word of God. The Bible contains the Word of God and points you to Jesus. But you want to have the relationship with Jesus. You're separating the Word from the one who spoke the Word. And here's the fact. What you say reveals your character. And so if you're going to belittle the Word of God, who are you belittling? God who spoke it. If you say this book is full of errors, what are you saying about God's character? It's full of errors. If you say this book is unclear, whose communication are you judging? God who communicated. So I want you to see that the character of the Scriptures are tied directly to the character of God. And so here's three things I want you to see about the Trinity. And we're going to move fast. First, God the Father is the creator of language. I think he knows how to communicate better than us. (laughs) You see what I'm saying? Do you realize that the very first thing God did with Adam and Eve was talk to them? He's the creator of language. He knows how to speak clearly. Listen. God has spoken, and he doesn't stutter. Okay? God has spoken, and he doesn't stutter. There's so much here. I, I, I just I can't cover it all. But I just want you to think in terms of, in Deuteronomy 30, Deuteronomy is the second giving of the law. Moses, it's his last words to the people of Israel. The second, first generation has died in the wilderness. The new generation is about to conquer the promised land under the leadership of Joshua. And Moses repeats the law and gives it to them a second time. And here's what he says in Deuteronomy 30, verses 11 through 14. After going through the whole law. Okay, we're talking Genesis to Deuteronomy. For this is the commandment which I command you today is not too difficult for you, nor is it out of reach. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will go up to heaven for us to get it for us and make us 
hear it, that we may observe it. Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will cross the sea for us to get it for us and make us hear it, that we may observe it. Moses says, no, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart that you may observe it. What's he saying there? He's saying, look, I just gave you what God said. You don't have to go up to heaven and bring it down. He came down and he spoke it and he wrote it with his finger. You don't have to go across the sea to get it. You don't have to do anything. God has spoken and he has spoken clearly. What you need to do is by faith, receive it and obey it. You say, are you sure that's what it means? Yeah, because in Romans 10, Paul repeats these verses. And he says in Romans 10, For Moses writes that a man who practices the righteousness which is based on the law shall live by that righteousness. But the righteousness based on faith, which was the Reformation truth, faith alone, speaks as follows. Do not say in your heart who will ascend to heaven, that is to bring Christ down. And who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we are preaching. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart the person believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. Here's the point. God has spoken clearly. He's come to us. And what he says is clear. And what we need is a heart of belief and say, God has spoken truth, and I embrace that truth. That's what we are to do. So God spoke. God has spoken, and he doesn't stutter. Secondly, God the Son, the living Word, relied on the written Word. God the Son, the living Word, relied on the written word as his clear and final authority. Now, this this goes back with the pastor that keeps telling his church, Jesus is the living word. This, this Bible does not just contains, it contains the word of God, but it's not the word. Jesus is the word. So he's putting a divide between the written word and the living word. And you know what the living word said? Go back to the written word. And he said, the written word will take you back to me. And when you, when you come back to me, I will take you back. So it's a circle. Do you see what I'm saying? So you got the living word who is constantly taking people back to the written word. And the written word will constantly take you back to the living word. But there is not, there is not this division as though once this takes me here, I no longer need the written word. Are you with me? They are both the word of God. And they both speak with authority. They both are inerrant. And they both are clear. And if you diminish this, you diminish him. And if you properly understand him, you will embrace and read and obey what he has spoken.
Now, let me show you this in the life of Jesus. Seven times in Scripture, Jesus says, Have you not read? And he's saying it to people that know this book inside and out. What he is saying is, look, you've read it, but you don't get it. Not because it's unclear. It's your believing, unbelieving heart that is the problem. Have you not read? Well, of course I have. I'm a Jew. I was raised in it like Timothy. Yes, but you don't get it because you're, you don't have a believing heart. You're not confessing the truth in your mouth. Another time uh, he said, go learn what this means. And then he quoted Hosea. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. What he means is, look, I know you've read it, but you need to understand it. It's clear. Why aren't you living it out? He said to Nicodemus on his nighttime uh, little Bible study with the Pharisee, Nicodemus, you are Israel's teacher and you don't understand? The point again and again, Jesus drives people back to the Word of God and he says, look, it's clear. The problem is not with the Word of God. It's with your understanding. It's with your lack of belief. It's with your lack of obedience. Remember Luke 24, what the risen Lord said to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus? He could be speaking directly to you and me. You, how foolish you are and slow of heart to believe what the prophets have said. You see, it's our foolish heart and it's our slowness to trust God's clear word that is the problem. I like these sayings. Nothing can be said so clear it won't be misunderstood. And no one is so blind as he who refuses to see. The scriptures are clear. We're the blind ones. We're the ones who refuse to understand. And then finally, we're without excuse because God the Spirit, the teacher of truth, makes the scriptures clear to those who submit to him. The Spirit, who not only inspired what was written, but illumines the heart of those who read it. Isn't that beautiful? We talked about the dual authorship of Scripture. Well, who's the ultimate author? God Himself. Guess what? Via the Holy Spirit, you have the divine author in your heart as you read what He wrote. So when something, you come across something you don't understand, what should you do? Wouldn't it be great? How many of you like the Lord of the Rings? Yeah. How many of you like C.S. Lewis? Yeah. Who would love to read the Lord of the Rings with Tolkien sitting next to you? And you could ask him and you could say, now what's going on here? And why did Frodo do this? And wouldn't Bilbo really actually do this? And he'd explain to you, who wouldn't like to sit and read the works of C.S. Lewis and say, now just expound to me. Make this a little clear. Some of your stuff's good, but it's hard to understand. Could you clarify that for me? Listen, folks, that ain't going to happen until you get to heaven. But here's the good news. You can read this book right now, and the author is living within you, and he, the Holy Spirit, the teacher of truth, will explain. We have the mind of Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. We have the mind of Christ. And he will illumine us. And then, finally, the apostles clearly put clarity into practice. The apostles. So we, so we have the entire Bible. 
we have the Trinity, and now we have the apostles. Paul's entire missionary calling was based on the clarity of scriptures. Here's what God said to him. God said, get up, stand on your feet, Paul. For this purpose, I've appeared to you to appoint you a minister and a witness, not only of the things which you have seen, but also to the things which I will appear to you, rescuing you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to whom I'm sending you. So this is Paul's missionary commission by by Christ himself. And here's what he says, verse 18. I'm sending you to open the eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. The entire missionary enterprise that we read about in the book of Acts, all of Paul's 13 epistles were written to open eyes, to the clarity of what God has spoken. That's why we can have world, uh, uh, world outreach celebration. That's why we can go beyond borders. Because wherever we go, God is going to open the eyes of the blind to see what God has clearly spoken in His Word. But we've got to send people to Mongolia. We've got to send them to England. We've got to send them to every people group to take this book with its authority, its inerrancy, and its clarity, so that God can open eyes. Think about it. Someone shared the Word of God with you, and God opened your eyes to what? One moment, it was obscure. And the next moment, by God's grace, it was clear, and you were converted and given a desire to hunger for this Word. Uh, You should be like grinning and saying, Yeah, that was exciting. I remember that. And it really shouldn't be that long ago because this week you should have had that experience in the Word of God. This week, God should have been opening your eyes to His truth. So, what's clear about clarity? God has spoken clearly. Uh, Oh, the the passage in Peter is interesting. The passage in Peter uh, just briefly talks about, Peter says, yeah, you know Paul, he writes scripture, and some of it's hard to understand, but then he goes on to rebuke people that twist what he says. So this is important. Just because there's things hard to understand doesn't mean that by hard work and diligent study and time walking with God that you won't understand it. Difficult passages do not undermine the clarity of Scripture. Are you with me? Hard to understand? Yes, at times. Keep studying, and let's move into that now. So that raises the question, if God has spoken so clearly, are we capable to... Are we, you know, we're blind, we're human... We have sin nature, even as believers. Are we incapable? So let's look at it. Well, first of all, look at 2 Timothy 1.5. 2 Timothy 1.5. Paul says this to Timothy. 2 Timothy 1.5. For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dealt in your grandmother, an old lady, 
and your mother Eunice, never call your mom an old lady, and I am sure it is in you. So you've got this guy. Yeah, I'm not calling you an old lady. Oh, okay, well, I hate to break it to you, Tammy, but you're an old lady, okay? Maybe not as old as Eunice, okay, so we'll go easy on you. But you got Timothy from a nursing baby to to the, the, the Joy Fellowship lady, okay? You got that, okay. Which, by the way, I don't know about you, I qualify to be in Joy Fellowship now, which is a very depressing thought. But let's move on. That, that doesn't mean I can't understand Scripture. That's what I'm going to show you. Now, here's what you want to understand. Then go to 3.15. 3.15, he says, you knew it from childhood. Who do you think taught Timothy the Scriptures? Grandma and mom. And the question becomes, where was dad? And what we find is when Paul converts and evangelizes Timothy as a young man, he's not yet been circumcised. And more than likely, the reason is because his dad was probably a Gentile, maybe even an unbeliever, possibly already dead. So you got this guy raised in a home by maybe a single mom or at least unequally yoked with a Gentile unbeliever. Point is, you kind of got some maybe dysfunction that we can relate to in our day and age. And a lot of estrogen for this guy. And we see in Scripture, he's kind of a timid guy. He doesn't have a lot of confidence. Filling in some of the blanks, pure speculation, I admit. But I think we have a guy raised by women who needed a man in his life, like so many in our culture do today. But here's what I want you to see from this background information about Timothy. I want you to see that in this passage alone, from the youngest to the oldest are capable of learning Scripture. Amen? You can be an old granny or you can be a nursing child. You can understand Scripture. Okay? To your, your learning capacity, right? I look back, and I'm sure you do too. I learned back at my conversion, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I knew nothing. I knew enough. But I'm like, I'm not even sure I was saved back then, right? Because you learn so much more as you gain and grow in your knowledge. Both men and women. Here's two women that discipled and produced one of the greatest pastor uh, slash missionary slash apostolic helper in all of church history. Pastors in the pulpit like Timothy and people in the pew like his mom and grandma can understand Scripture. People with religious backgrounds and people with secular backgrounds. Timothy probably had both. People that are racially accepted and people that are racially rejected. More than likely, Timothy was of mixed blood. He He was the product of an intermarriage. That didn't prevent the clarity of Scripture. Okay, he uh, people with put together functional families and falling apart dysfunctional families like maybe his family was people that are nationals and people that are immigrants and refugees can understand the scriptures. Amen. We need to be reminded of this on the eve of our world outreach celebration. We can go anywhere in the world with this book translated in their heart language and they are capable with the help of the Holy Spirit to understand this. The question is, are you and I giving sacrificially so people can go? 
Are we giving sacrificially so people can translate the scriptures? Are you involved in this most important work in the world of getting the clarity of scripture to those who are blind like you once were? To those that were deaf like you once were? Amen? That's why we have world outreach. Now, here's something interesting that is so interesting, we'll save it for the next message on the sufficiency of Scripture. But I want to plant this thought in your head, and it's simply this. We've seen today that the Bible is clear enough and anyone is capable enough to understand and obey God's Word with the help of the Holy Spirit. And so the Bible answers yes to both these questions. But I want you to think about how it answers yes, because I want you to think of two things here. God links clarity to His ability to do what He has spoken. Here's the good news. God has not only spoken clearly, but in His speaking, He imparts the ability to do what he's commanded. Is that not the coolest thing? But that means, number two, God links clarity to our accountability. Uh Uh-oh. Could we just stop right, you know, could we just stop here? What am I saying? My point is this. If God has spoken clearly, clear enough to be understood, then we are accountable to do what? To obey it. But you say, that freaks me out because I know how sinful I am, how unbelieving, how slow of heart to believe. Good news. The Word imparts the ability to obey. Is that not just awesome? The Word of God is able to make you wise. The Word of God is convicting, training you, rebuking you correcting you. Wow. When I saw that studying this aspect of clarity, here's the deal. Diverse interpretations, just an excuse to not be accountable. Diverse translations, just an excuse to not be accountable. Diverse denominations, 30,000 plus. Doesn't matter. I'm accountable. I'm accountable because God doesn't stutter and the Holy Spirit isn't a skeptic. And so what I've included there, and I had it all written out because you just need to take it home and read it, is the clarity of Scripture doesn't mean you don't have to study. It means it motivates you to study because I know it can be clear, but i got to put the hard work in. So let me just end with these three things. Clarity clearly matters. Humble yourself before the clear written word because God has stooped to speak to you. Humble yourself. Humble yourself. Two, hunger for the clear written word. I have some quotes there from J.C. Ryle's article. I have the link for you. It'll be up on our Facebook page. Read that chapter. But he says some really piercing words that if you and I are here this morning and we don't hunger for this word, you need to ask yourself, what sin Am I embracing that squelching my hunger or the more difficult question, am I truly born again? Because born again people 
have the author that wants you to read this book. So, humble yourself before it. Confess your sins. Let God purify your heart. Hunger for it. And then finally, do the hard work of studying this book. You just keep reading it. You just keep studying it. You keep coming to Discovery Hour. You keep coming to the worship service. You keep discussing it with your grow group. You just keep on day in and day out. And God will become sweeter. And His Word will become clearer. And you're going to grow. Amen. Is that just good stuff? Man, the clear. I am just like, like, okay... Every year for the rest of my life, I want to teach at least once on the clarity of Scripture because it's so powerful. All right. Come this week. These folks are doing what they're doing because they believe in the authority, inerrancy, and the clarity of Scripture. So let's, let's go to the Lord. Father, we come. And uh, I know we covered a lot of ground, but there's a lot to cover. And we just humble ourselves before you, Lord. Forgive us for our laziness regarding your word. Forgive us, Lord, for not picking up the book and reading it in so many versions, so many sizes, so many platforms, digital, written, streaming, downloading, apps. Oh, God, to whom much is given, much is required, and we have much to ask forgiveness for. But we repent, knowing that your word is able to, to get us into your word and to grow us and to explain it and to teach it. And so we give thanks for this church, the teaching and preaching ministries from childhood all the way up to the oldest saint. And we give thanks, God, that we together can learn the clarity of Scripture. May we read it this week, even this busy week of World Outreach. May we read it and grow thereby. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Encourage someone on your way out. Encourage them in the Lord.